Please note, on this episode of the Territory Story podcast, there is discussion about a story related to child sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan, the chairman of the board, captain of the team, and the brains behind this juggernaut that runs off the tracks regularly. Hello, Leon. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm very good. Before we get started um, and get braced for impact, um, I'd like to do a shout out to Jane, who contacted me on Facebook this week and said that uh, she loves the Territory Story podcast. She loves, in particular, the stories that we do with those are sort of from Outback Australia, Tracy Hayes, she mentioned that story by name. Um, And she also claims that she is the Territory Stories number one listener. Now, I'm not getting into that debate because I think a few others have claimed that title as well, but uh, it was very nice to get the feedback. It is. And in fact, uh, now that you mention it, I was just on um anchor to checking stuff out and uh, spotify as they do every year gives you that sort of yeah. 2020 you know year yeah. wrap up in review yes and our podcast apparently is in the top 10 percent of most shared globally i i, I really where, where do prob- they get this from well, I don't know. I mean, Spotify is a law unto itself, but it's probably because of the amount of episodes we've done. Um, I've always said, and we've had this conversation a few times, but the more episodes that you do, the more likely you are to have some form of success because most people give up. And uh, so 350 episodes in, this will be 351 from memory. Um, the sheer longevity gets us into those upper echelons. Which is great. Right. Yeah. And the other interesting st- statistic that came out of that too was uh, 86% of our listeners discovered us in 2022 this year. 86%. Really? According to Spotify. Wow. Well, shame on those people that listened in 2020 and 2021 and dropped off. <laughs> <laughs> shame on you, even though you're not listening uh, anymore. Anyway, anyway let's, well, let's get into it, mate. We've got a we've got some big stories, big big stories this week. We do indeed. So let's get him on, the editor of the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Mister Weekends with Walshy himself, Chris Walsh. Hello, mate. Hey guys, good to see you both again. Yeah, you too. I was getting excited. Uh, yeah, but what <laughs> about going? <laughs> oh, going. <laughs> yes, going to Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Cliff, Cliff Richard once wrote a song, or, or, or he wrote he, he didn't he didn't write songs, I don't think, but there was a song called "Up in Canada." 
<laughs> That's why 86% of our listeners went, Leon. <laughs> Cliff Richard mentions. <laughs> That's what I was going to say about those statistics like that. That's that, that like, I think you can get them to do anything, really. Like, remember CDU at one point was saying that it was in the top 1% of all universities in the world? In the Northern in, Territory. <laughs> no, in the world. <laughs> right. I don't know what that was based on, but it's like, yeah, no, that's not true. It can't possibly be accurate. But yeah, no, I'm going to get a break. It's been nonstop for a while and uh, looking forward to that, taking some time off for Christmas. We'll go back mm. to Canada. Boys, just quickly, yeah. I know we've got a lot to talk about, but I just wanted to throw something out there. Um, as you know, I'm down south at the moment and I, I watched the uh, Victorian election last weekend where the Labor Party romped it in. Um, and it's been really interesting to see the commentary during the week. Malcolm Turnbull's come out and had some pretty strong words about the, the Liberal Party. And there's been a lot of people talking. We had Steve Edgington on this week from the CLP, Leon. There's a lot of people talking about the fact that the Liberal Party should be considering shutting up shop and folding. Any thoughts on that from either of you? I don't remember Steve saying that. No, he didn't, but others are. But Steve was saying how wonderful they were and, you know, they had two seats at the last election. They got eight seats this time, so that's a step in the right direction. But I've been talking to some long-term, lifelong Liberal voters who just cannot fathom what's become of the party and just said they're a joke and they may as well fold and start again. Mm. Yeah, well, when you look at the country Liberal Party, I think a lot of people have <laughs> been saying that um, for a long time and yet they still stick around. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just about moving towards the centre if that's where everybody is politically, then that's mm. what you got to start doing and maybe don't have that fringe right element. But, you know, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, but you know, the thing is, the thing is, Chris, on that very, very same point, mm. whilst the, the, the Libs have that fringe right element, Labor, at least here in the Territory, the, the <laughs> left element seems to be... <laughs> yep, that's right. Know, more and more zealous even. Yeah, well, yeah. They're, they're, they're dragging that party far left. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how to explain that. Um I don't know if it's connecting, like if it's connecting with everyday territorians or what. And, and I guess we'll wait and see. But then everyone's still concerned that this next election will be the result or show the results of this block yep. of of public servants and where they all are. And that the, the CLP won't be able to crack into any northern suburb seats, and they need to do it to win. And they they've had it before. I think, the, but the last one was like Styles and Sanderson. Uh, years ago, and they haven't really broken into any northern suburb seats. So, is that even possible with the public service the way it is? So, does it have anything to do with pol political ideology? Well, I guess we see the CLP kind of saying we we love big government now. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think political parties will do whatever they can to save their skin, so their own skin. So, expect them to adapt in some way. Mm. Doesn't feel like they are, but anyway, <laughs> that's we'll watch All that right. evolve with interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let's get into these stories here, Chris. Uh, kicking off with the Walker inquest, uh, another senior coronial investigator for the NT police has told an inquest that former Assistant Commis Commissioner Nick Antisich shut down the coronial investigation into the death of Kuman J. Walker because its findings conflicted with the criminal investigation into Constable Zach Rolfe. 
yeah, this was surprising. And then again, I don't think anyone else reported on this. This is like some of the most serious stuff that's come out of this inquest to date. And uh, I, well, we're the only ones doing it. I don't have time to do this. I just told you guys last Thursday, like I was up to like 3 a.m. doing this stuff. And uh, and then I turn around the next day when that was on Tuesday, I think. And then Friday, um, David Proctor was up. And so I had to listen to this. So and then go over the, and then you get it. And then we get the transcript and we want to go over that to make sure that we're entirely accurate about everything. Because maybe that's why the other reporters, when it happens in, in real time, if you don't know what you're looking for, you maybe don't get it. Because like I said, they keep rotating the lawyers through and they all have their own agendas, let's say. Um, and they want to get to certain things. And then it, it so it's not a, it's not a stream of consciousness, straight line thing. It's just kind of all over. <laughs> so you got to go back and actually look at everything and make sure that what you're reporting is accurate. So we did that. I had to do that. It was a very late night again. Um, but anyway, what I mean, the, the surprise thing here is that this guy, former commander, David Proctor, now he was the guy who took over for Scott Pollock the famous Pollock reports. So Proctor comes in and he takes over uh, and they, they push and they're kind of doing it at the same time, it seems. And then they push, we know they push Pollock out the door. And we talked about that uh, last week and how he said that that had affected his health, forced him into early retirement essentially. And uh, he wasn't too pleased with how everything went down. And he had raised very serious concerns about the use of force expert that the police relied on at the trial. So, yeah. So now Proctor's kind of backed up, just about everything Pollock has said, he's he said that um, that this did happen. That that the that that Antisich had come in and shut down the coronial investigation, had suspended it. But this is the question that we never get. So he says, "Look, yeah, it was suspended for three days, and then it was brought back." But by that time, Pollock was gone, and Proctor let it. Um, but why? Why? Like no one's even asked him why did he suspend it for three days? That seems to me the most logical question, and no lawyer asked that. Um, so anyway, but what also Proctor revealed on Friday, and we'll get into that in a second, but what, what Proctor also revealed was that senior police figures had deleted recordings of high-level meetings that involved discussion of criminal and coronial investigations into Rolf's actions the night he fatally shot Walker and Uendamo. Now, that's that's interesting, too, because he said, look, we, we thought it was being recorded. We knew it was being recorded, so we didn't take notes because oh, the recording's more accurate oh, than our notes. Wow. And so and then he said what the process seemed to be that he was not aware of, and he's one of the main people in the room in this joint management committee, uh, that, that they took the recordings back to the station or back to like the headquarters and uh, transcribed them and then burned the recordings. So and, oh, and, and it wasn't even transcription. I'm that sorry, doesn't was, sound dodgy at all. Yeah, it was just the notes. <laughs> like it's just notes from it, right? Like minutes, basically. It's not the an actual transcription of the entire meeting. It's just minutes yep. of a meeting. So that's that's unusual, I think. And he said, well, look, that's kind of process. And then the other thing that he said was that uh, the racist text messages exchanged between Alice Springs police members in 2019 were actually, he said he sent them himself to the NT Police's internal disciplinary body, so uh, Professional Standards Command, in November 2020, but that no action had been taken to reprimand anyone for those messages. And, of course, we know now that it's been used as a prop here, I guess, like the main driving narrative that uh, Peggy Dwyer at the inquest here is really focused on. And, of course, I mean, some of these 
comments when it came out, it was just like, wow, you can't believe some of these text messages, but how they've kind of focused on that. I, you know, I still have a problem connecting that with exactly what happened that night in Nuendomo and these, these kind of text messages that happened before, you know, weeks and months before. But anyway, we're, we're still waiting and we'll see how they tie those things all together and find, you know, what actually happened, I guess. But, uh, yeah, we'll just get back into, um, yeah, what, uh, Proctor had said was basically that, uh, yeah, that Scott Pollock had raised these concerns about the police's criminal investigation being biased against Rolf, including that critical evidence had not been provided to key witnesses, that other witnesses may have provided statements to be used in the criminal investigation that they thought were for the coronial investigation. And that's, you can force the cops to, to give information for coronial, but you can't for criminal. And so they came in and said, all right, this is coronial, and then turn around and use it in criminal. Uh, and that Rolf's training, as we said, could not be established and the police's use of force expert was not qualified. Uh, yeah, and we heard uh, the proctor had assumed the role in November 2020, somewhere around following Pollock's removal, but they were there together. He said that uh, both he and Pollock had raised issues under the heading of investigative bias expert witness that they were unable to resolve involving the police's use of force experts, Sergeant Andrew Barham, who the investigators were concerned did not understand current training procedures and have received conflicts. These concerns are in the report by uh, uh, Mr. Pollock, and they all raise concerns of potential investigative bias, Proctor said. And then I clearly state the summary and rationale for these concerns are detailed. <laughs> they had asked, um, well, you know, he had said, Barham had said something at his thing that, no, he, he understood the training. Um, and that he was, that he didn't have any conflicts of interest, but they were kind of separate matters from a lot of what they talked about here. And they seemed to just go with that and be like, yeah, okay, well, he said he didn't go to a meeting in Uendamu when, uh, uh, Pollock thought that he had, but that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this guy not understanding uh, what the training were and the, the laws around the training. And he had told them that he had, he knew all about Rolf's actual training. And Pollock had said, well, show us how you know this because we can't find this. We can't find that this guy's even been trained at all or who trained him. And that's just the joke that the police college is. So look, uh, Proctor backed up all of this stuff. Uh, he, yeah, he was also asked about that joint management committee meeting where Antisich uh, suspended the coronial investigation. Uh, yeah, Proctor questioned whether this means all evidence will not be provided to the court but rather information that fits the prosecution is what happened in this meeting. The proctor brought that up to Antisich. Antisich noted that investigators do not agree with Scott Pollock's report and recommendations. So there you go. You don't agree with what the, the respected coronial investigators do, and then you suspend the, the entire thing, get rid of the guy, and bring in someone else. I mean, this is just... If we thought that, that this had happened before, we, we have proof now. We have the people involved saying this happened. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, the risks, I think it was, it was Proctor who brought up the fact that you're bringing risks. It was in the minutes of these meetings that were discussed where he said, you're, you know, this, this is creating a whole bunch of risks to the anti-police force of using Barham, of not listening to us here. And Antisich said, that's fine. I accept the risk. And Proctor said, well, wow. I don't accept the risk of this. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, but then it was shut down. And then for some reason, three days later, it's brought back. And uh, we're not sure why. So what he said was, um, 
yeah, he said, if we came across this information and did not provide it, so information about Barham and some other investigative issues, if we came across this information and did not provide it to either the assistant commissioner, who's antisich, for them to, uh, for crime command to then discuss with the DPP, then that placed the organization in a significant risk and us in a significant risk, Proctor said. Given that we were acting and investigating on behalf of the coroner, it also placed the coroner's office at significant risk. And as I say there, it was not a risk that I was willing to take. We were investigating on behalf of the coroner and in accordance with the Coroner's Act. And I didn't believe we were undermining the investigation or doing any of those things. We were just doing due diligence. And they did not like it. And so they shot it down. Mm, strong words. Yeah. So then he, he mentioned that the recordings, he said, I like to keep minutes. But as I say, that wasn't my decision. Uh, as practice for the organization, but he said, we were of the view that the audio recording was even better than our handwritten notes at that stage. I didn't know it was going to be deleted. So he hadn't taken detailed notes. Uh, yeah. And we know that Antisich had told that he had told the inquest uh, last week that he, well, earlier in that week, that he felt shutting down the inquest was necessary because he had determined after a year of investigations that it was, quote, totally inappropriate end quote, to have a coronial and criminal investigation running concurrently. So it took him a year. He added that he had sought advice, quote, advice on whether this was appropriate. But he never said who gave him any advice to shut down the investigation. But why, yeah. after a year of this going concurrently, does he say, yeah, you know, this isn't right? Well, now we got an answer to that. Now, why they chose to put Antisich up before um, yeah. Pollock or Proctor is strange too, because I think they've read the reports. They would have known what was going to come up. Now, if, if Pollock and Proctor are saying things that Antisich did, maybe the court should have heard that first and then could have gone to Antisich. And really, I don't know why they didn't bring him back. Can you, I was going to say, can you bring him back? Yeah, they could have. But yeah. anyway, look maybe like he got his, um, yeah. maybe he got his consultation from the same person that Con got his from that fateful night when he <laughs> shut down the vote on something for the yeah for the well that's it's looking about as dodgy as that <laughs> um and so yeah he, he's never said who that advice was um and then again uh you know that issue he had said that he could not recall a phone call that pollock had made to him uh that had been described as or that he had made the pollock and a made the pollock that was abusive abusive intimidatory and threatening uh, you repeated on several occasions, you know, how effing embarrassing this is. Another lawyer for Rolf had put the Antisich. Uh, and importantly, he, Pollock says that you demanded to know what information he was passing on to the coroner. I don't recall that Antisich said. Uh, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot that doesn't get recorded at these times. Did, yeah. did he actually use the word intimidatory? Yes. That was the word I had to quote. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Intimidatory. Okay. Yeah. Right. So he's just basically intimidating. Making up work. language. Making <laughs> intimidating up wouldn't goes. work. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was, but it was that bad. That's like intimidating, but to the next level of yeah, yeah. <laughs> intimidatory. That was, that was intimidating plus. <laughs> <laughs> so um, about the other thing. So look, Proctor basically backed up everything Pollock said, still raising these very serious questions that we have of, of whether or not, you know, this was all done properly, the investigations. Um, Pollock said that the text messages, so I just want to get back to that, were discovered about a year after the shooting when they were able to access Rolf's phone. Uh, Proctor said they did not, the, the messages did not play a heavy role in his report for the coroner. 
right? And now you got to think, okay, well, that kind of makes sense because he's investigating what happened on the day that the, the wife yeah, died. There's no, that's right. There's no need for a circus here in his report. So he said he sent them, though. He got them. He sent them. He did what you're supposed to do. He sent them to Professional Services Command for a possible disciplinary breach, but said it appeared the executive did not take any action. As a prescribed member at the rank of commander, he said, that is why that report was drafted and forwarded to the Professional Standards Command for further investigation of those matters. We had got the information. It was always going to be attached to the brief. I have to be honest, though, we didn't do in my report. I didn't address those things particularly. But some of the text messages, as we now know, I think it was pretty obvious that they had racial connotations to them. He hadn't heard back that any action had been taken. He said, in my mind, Professional Standards Command would then probably pick up some of those other members who have participated in sending those types of messages, he said. Um, but of course, we just waited until this coronial and then, then they all came out. So, and we dropped you know, <laughs> what we had and we had an opinion piece by a former cop who was saying that on the weekend saying like, you know, why, why does this happen like this? Why, why isn't it just dealt with right away? Because mm. you've got some of these officers and he's saying at least one or two that were involved have been promoted and been put in positions where they were in the care, where they were responsible for the care of indigenous people for 24 hours at a time or something. Um, why are you putting them in these positions? If you think that they're racist. Yep. And so the question then becomes, yeah, I mean, did, did Chalker and the executive not take any action because they just wanted this to be for the show of the inquest? And then we saw some really stupid comments and what he said last week. I think we talked about that last week where he was saying that everybody, his, pop, his personal popularity had increased since the coronial started because the truth, whatever that is, based on, coming out. Based on family members that he'd interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, so just, and you know, that, like we said, that that just kind of calls the integrity of the coronial into question. And you got a guy like the commissioner who, who had said previously, so we wrote an editorial that we ran on the weekend about that after we spoke to you guys last time, but yep. saying, like, he's called this into it in the question because here's a guy who, you know, in at least five different occasions said, I'm not going to comment on this inquest until it's over to respect the process. And then all of a sudden, somebody asks him something, and he says, oh, well, that's right. You see how great I am now? Everybody <laughs> loves me, and this thing's going great for me. And so we wrote an editorial saying, yeah, your victory lap's a little premature there, Jamie. Um, and here's why. And there's so many questions still to come out about this, and, and, and so much more for it to go. And we knew it was supposed to like end this week. It's been extended, I think. In February, public hearings will resume again, and then you're looking at time for the coroner to write the report afterwards and put everything together. So we're not even close to being done, and here the police commissioner is making comments. So. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it was extraordinary, and you did talk about it last week. Um, I, I don't understand the point of it, but I guess when there's been so much negative press uh, he is interpreting part of that as a positive for him is the only mm. way I can look at it. Well, yeah, and then I think what we were going to talk about next is what he said this week, right? What he said well, let's yesterday. get into it. It's yeah. a perfect segue, Chris, because, uh, look, the Police Association has come out and made really strong words uh, against the police commissioner for comments that he made about the ongoing inquest into Kumanjai Walker. 
and they described his comments as nothing short of baffling. <laughs> it, it's so strange, and you know, even more strange that the NTPA, Paul McHugh, has actually finally come out. Yeah, I the commissioner so hasn't done that in two and a half years. He's, he's been pushed to the end. To, yeah. He's actually come out and said something negative. Well, somebody must have called him and said, like, Paul, you get out there and you do your job or something's going to happen here because yeah. we're, we're angry about this. Clearly, the membership were angry. I think last week with all of that stuff that happened, and we talked about his comments about it, him making this whole thing about him, uh, the Jamie Chalker, this is all about my personal popularity and the truth has finally come out and the truth has been discovered were the words he was saying last week. And so he gets, you know, and he, and he must have heard from a lot of people last week about that. I'm sure the NTPA did too. And then it was when he does. So he does it again. So he does it again <laughs> yesterday. Like, I don't know, guys. Like, honestly, I, I, I think the man's just stupid. I think that's what we get to now. And we've gone through everything else. He's just stupid. Because why do you, when you're getting in trouble, you're saying stupid things about an inquest that you know you shouldn't be saying that he actually had said before, I'm going to respect the process. I'm not going to comment until it's fin finished. He breaks that, his own pledge. Last week, he gets, he gets smashed by everybody on it. And then he, he decides he's going to fly to Alice Springs for the last day of the sittings. And and what? And he's shaking hands with people. And ABC, I had him last night. I saw it on uh, the iView late. He's sitting down in the grass outside the courts with Kuman Jai Walker's family members, like sitting down in the grass. And, you know, he's just talking to them. He's a man of the people. He's there for the last day of the inquest. It is so strange. And then he decides to make this even better. The fact that he even showed up is so stupid. But then he decides, well, let's call the media over here. So he calls ABC over and they go over and, he, and they say, what are you doing here? And he said, well, that's how I would have said it. They probably just said, hey, commissioner, you're awesome. Tell us what's going on. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, well, the inquest is all about a search for the truth. And there's been a fair bit of mischief in the past. This is the opportunity for that to come out. And it's like, man why just why again are you on this thing about the truth how the truth has been found we're discovering the truth all the time mischief in the past so to their credit the abc said what are you talking about <laughs> like can you please explain what these cryptic comments are what, what do you get now what's the truth here what is this uh, opportunity what is this mischief mischief he says has occurred in the past and so he he refuses to clarify those comments so then the NTPA come out this morning, or no, sorry, late this afternoon, it was with after four, uh, calling the comments completely inappropriate, uh, baffling, while the judicial process is still underway. Uh, McHugh issues a statement saying the NTPA asked for everyone to respect the current inquest process underway into the death of Kumanjai Walker. As the inquest wraps up for this year, our membership is upset and baffled by public statements made by the commissioner of police regarding, quote, a search for the truth and, quote, mischief in the past. These comments are completely inappropriate while judicial proceedings are underway. In the absence of a fulsome explanation to those comments, we urge the commissioner and anyone for that matter to refrain from making public comment. Mr. McHugh added that while much of the evidence had been difficult for those officers involved and for many who were listening, it was crucial to the coroner hear all of the evidence before finalizing her report, which seems 
fair to me. Uh, we must allow the coroner to hear the evidence and make recommendations before making public statements or alluding to what may or may not be the truth, said McHugh. And what well, are the, what's the well, truth <laughs> he's specifically talking about? Or does no one know? We don't know. Look, we think that it has, it's the racist text messages, that this is somehow personally exonerated Jamie Chalker from being a terrible commissioner. Uh, I, I don't know. Like the, the truth. What, what is the truth? And then it's such a lofty word to be thrown around. You know, we're careful with that as, as, as journalists and saying, well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. We yeah. can report what people are saying. Um, we can report what's happening. You get to the truth. You start throwing around capital T truth. I mean, uh, yeah, he's he's dabbling in some weird it's a stuff. Big word. <laughs> so you know, he he breaks his longstanding pledge here not to publicly discuss it now. And we know about the eighty percent of of uh, respondents to the survey, NTPA surveys, that they have no faith in his leadership. He had said that his popularity had gotten better. But I'm taken back to, and we were talking about him, Woody said that this afternoon. He said, remember what he said when we, that wasn't in the editorial, we left that out. But uh, Jogger caused controversy in February 2020 when he gave the Australian an interview ahead of the trial of Rolf, in which he seemed to imply that he was confident in a conviction. You guys remember yep. this? Yeah, yep. this yep. is like crazy. <laughs> and then he said, well, that's not what I meant. And blah, blah. Anyway, McHugh went on the radio. And then that was the last time that he publicly bashed the commissioner. And he said, uh, words to the effect. Well, he said that the, the fact that Chalker even made the decision to make comments were astounding while the matter was still before the courts that he would yeah. say, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to get a conviction. <laughs> he said, doesn't matter even how anybody interpreted that. <laughs> he said the fact that the commissioner is making comments at all while this thing is still before the courts is astounding. So, and it is. So who's worse, the police commissioner for saying that or the former chief minister for saying consequences will flow? Uh, yeah, look. Because really, I, it was tainted from the day that all happened, wasn't it? <laughs> well, and, you know, like when we know, like Jamie Chalker showed up there uh, and started talking about Palm Island. Like in, in fairness, everybody misunderstood their words, according to them. <laughs> yeah, their, their words were misinterpreted. Yeah, the consequences would be the coronial. But anyway, it's just the whole thing's been a mess up uh, from the top to bottom, from the beginning to the end. We even talked about, mm -hmm. like, should Rolf have been in that post that night? Nope. They have plans in place that weren't followed, procedures. It's just so many stuff ups by so many people and all of this here. And and then, but then like, I still, we're still saying that, you know, the ICAC's looking at the four days of whether there was political interference in the decision to charge Rolf. My biggest concerns at this point here, uh, or after this is, is, is that, is this inquest looking at all at this, how these investigations went? Because we've got so many questions where they're, they're, they're killing investigations because they're conflicting with what they want. Like, this is like so serious and goes to the heart of our democracy. Mm. Uh, and then they're. What were the parameters witnesses. of the inquest, uh, Chris? Do you, do you recall that? Sorry, Leon, what's that? What, what were the parameters of the inquest? Did they lay them out at the start? Yes, they did. Yeah. And I, and I don't did recall. It, did it include the stuff? Well, look, it's got, look, the reports are there. Mm. Remember, like, remember, they, they have all of these Pollock Proctor drafts. We think we think that I, I think that there's more, but anyway, um, we still can't get this. Like even though you've had Pollock and Proctor up and talking about this stuff, we still can't see this, which I find very strange. I went to them and said, "Can we get this now? Like it's already been part. It's already public. 
let's get this. Now I want to see the documents for myself. And they wouldn't let me, but they have them. So we, we, and, and they've had Pollock and Proctor come on and say their piece. So yeah, I mean, look, I, let's be hopeful that, that this is going to be addressed on some level. But I just think, you know, we, she's been focusing a lot on other stuff. It was only in the last kind of dying days of this thing um, that we've seen that well. And now we'll go into February. But really in February, what they're looking at is uh, Rolf coming up and the other sergeant there after there. Because remember, they've made a, an application to the Supreme Court um, so that they don't have to respond to all the questions around the racist text messages because they're concerned that it will be used against them for disciplinary matters. Again, raising the question, why wasn't it before when the police found out when professional standards? Yeah. Out? So anyway, look, I'm, I'm, we've, we've done this the whole time. I mean, we've been critical, whatever, but, uh, I still have faith in them to, to do everything here that, that the public expects and we just need it to be thorough. And I've no reason to think it isn't at this point. So let's see what happens. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the next story. This is, uh, again, about Kent Rowe. Senior Labor figures helped child rapist Kent Rowe get a lighter sentence, according to court documents. I Yeah, guys, like I I said earlier, I I thought that I've heard it all in anti-politics. This is a new one. This is a new one. This is a new tag for them. I didn't think that a party would actually back a child molester, child rapist, a pedophile. I just did not see that coming ever. Uh, of course, when we asked some questions about this, we wondered why they were slow to condemn Roe on this stuff. Uh, this was something that I'd said, look, this guy, you know, he, he ran the party. He was one of the main players. This guy had his, his name on the, on the uh, business registration forms for Harold Nelson Holdings, right? They're big. Uh, that's how they get all their money. That's how they get their war chests through this company, Harold Nelson Holdings, who was a director of that. He ran everybody, everybody in parliament right now, except for maybe the last two guys, Potter and uh, D-Ran, um, have thanked Ken Rowe for playing a part in getting them pre-selected and getting them elected. This guy, he ran the party. And so we wonder, okay, well, why isn't the chief minister just putting out a statement saying, look, this is horrible things that happened. We're thinking of the victim, but we have to condemn his actions. He's no longer part of the party. We condemn in as strong a terms as possible his conduct. It doesn't happen. You know, questions start getting asked at press conferences. We know that the that, that labor, we could see what the, the strategy was where they kind of went after the CLP and, and, and inferred that they were hanging out with racists every day that Kent Rowe was up at <laughs> in court or coming to the court. And they even held on to messages last time for a couple of weeks that they said were racist messages from some woman who wasn't even connected to the CLP. Um, uh, so we saw that they were kind of playing politics with this whole thing. It gets to the point where, and I think we, we talked about that last week in parliament where Nicole Madison's asked, did you or anyone in caucus write any letters of reference? For Roe. And she said, uh, no, essentially, she said, uh, no letters were written. Well, it turns out that her electorate officer, her long serving electorate officer, wrote a letter. And her long service serving electorate officer also happens to be the wife of Sid Sterling, former deputy chief minister, party stalwart, Sid Sterling. They write a reference letter. And also Jamie Gallagher. And Jamie Gallagher. Can, I, can I just ask you this question, though, Chris, right? Yes, Kent Rowe has been convicted for horrendous 
horrible crimes, right? But could he at the same time be a good, a good person in relation to other things? Or does that, does that crime just taint his entire life and everything else that he's ever done? Well, I would say, I mean, the, the, the stuff that he's done is just so horrific and, after, and over so many years prolonged. You know, and, and it even covers some years that he was working for labor. He was still um, uh, raping a child. I, I don't know how I don't know how winning helping a, a party win elections somehow atones for that. I, I don't see that. And I and that's what they said in these letters, right? These letters weren't that you know hey, this guy he's he saved a bus full of nuns or a bus full of children that was on fire. This is this guy helped us with the party. He helped us get elected uh, all those years. So we think, you know, he, he shouldn't just take that into consideration when you're sentencing him, Your Honor. So these letters are written. It's uh, look, the other part of this, too, Leon, and I got to say this, and I made this clear in the story. He's failed to show any remorse for these yeah. crimes. In fact, he lied continuously, repeatedly for years. He manipulated the victim into the victim saying that she felt that she was complicit in her own uh, abuse. The, the things that, that, that he's done mentally, physically, um, and to show no remorse at the end of the day, but for labor, for senior labor figures, these aren't just people who just showed up. Like, like some of his references were, these are people that ran the labor party at the highest levels for the past 20 plus years. And for them to come out and say, we know what he did, because in all these letters, they have to say at the top, we know he's been convicted of six counts of sexual intercourse without consent. And they know the details. They know that it was to a child and it was over many years. Uh, they have to say that. But then they say, you know, he's, uh, he's done good things for us. And so we don't think he should. He did well overall for the Labour Party is how Gallagher put it. Now, Gallagher, known around town as being the black ops man for Labour, he knows a lot of things about a lot of people, let's say. So he writes in his letter that uh, uh, that he did well, Roe did well over the last 20 years in, quote, the rough and tumble world of politics. He uh, was also on there on the NT News as one of one half of the territory's most powerful couple in 2019. So he's a man who has influence in town. Uh, then you had former Labor Deputy Chief Minister Sid Sterling currently picking up the taxpayer funded uh, paycheck as the chair of thoroughbred racing NT and also sits on the government's remuneration tribunal. So his wife writes the report writes a letter uh, like i said madison's long-term electorate officer jenny chakura uh jenny's been there a long time she was henderson's uh, electorate officer before so they talk about how great uh roe was that uh, they get that he was he was charged um yeah in which we both held senior roles gallagher wrote courtesy he writes is not always easily maintained in this field and it is often an area of intense personal conflict that said i worked on a number of federal and territory elections with mr Rowe, and if electoral success is to be regarded as a measure then he did well overall okay that's a problem right there isn't there yeah. that's a big problem <laughs> yeah i, I, I made both of those a man. Both of those comments and thought, I'm not sure how in any way 
that's related to sentencing, not sentencing. Yeah. It's character. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just, character. It's just, and I've got to say, look, the other thing that didn't make any sense to me, and Leon, you can explain this to me from a legal standpoint because I may be completely misguided here, but I thought it very strange that given that a spouse is generally excluded from giving evidence against you if you are on trial for something, why would a spouse's reference letter be able to be submitted in this situation as well? Who are you talking about? His you wife. Sid Sterling's Who? wife. Or you mean Kemp no. Rowe's wife? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well we can we can we can digress into that if you want, Pete. We can we can do that. Do you want to talk? Well, I just yeah, I mean, aside from the grammatical errors in in the actual <laughs> thing, which also staggered me as much as intimidatory. Um, I just thought I, I just I didn't think that was allowed. Um, so I was I was shocked that it was taken into account. Well, yeah, and let's just get into that for we won't take long here on this one. But yes, so Rebecca Wantarow, uh, current Darwin Alderman, did write a letter a letter of support for her husband ahead of sentencing as well. Now, what she said was the territory labor is too toxic for her husband, the pedophile. So, like, she's saying it's in people's minds that the pedophile saying to someone else, like, these people are really weird. I don't want to hang out with them anymore. They're really toxic. And it's like, oh, my God, where are we? Where the, <laughs> the, the pedophile says that the political party's too weird for him. But this is what apparently happened. So, so Rebecca Wantherow, the alderman, still an alderman, writes to the chief justice, and she says that he's had a healthier, uh, happier and healthier life since resigning from the uh, toxic environment and toxic people of the Territory Labor Party. Mm. This is just odd. This is just this one. Anyway, um, we know what he did uh, and we know what happened. Now, there's a couple of things here that, that don't add up. And I think, I don't know if people, anyway, uh, you know, I think more will come out on this. Let me put it to you like that. So in the reference for her husband, uh, Ms. Montarose said the cocaine sex scandal was, quote, a judgment in error while out drunk with his friends, said he was open and honest with me immediately and completely owned his mistake without putting any blame onto anyone else. She wrote to Chief Justice Grant, not necessarily true. And we know for a fact that Roe did not immediately tell his wife about the affair. We know that there was a drug-fueled sex romp on election night, that there were messages and intimate pictures, let's say, exchanged over a period of months. Uh, we know that when the media started reporting on the cocaine sex scandal, Ken Rowe was kicked out of the familial home at that time. But she's saying that, oh, no, he immediately told me about it, and he was up front. And then, then it's, well, then why'd you kick him out of the house four months after when it started becoming public? So... Uh, she then said that, that he had agreed to relationship counseling and started attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings immediately. He also resigned from the Labour Party, she said, removing the toxic environment and people from his life to stay on track for a happier, healthier lifestyle. Uh, yeah, so that one, she said she's very proud of him and how he's handled himself these last two years. 
Ken knew what he needed to do to support his family and nothing was below him to make money, even cleaning people's toilets. She talked about him running a, a, a company, a cleaning business that hired several people from AA. I can't find any record of that on ASIC searches that he's the director of any type of company like that. Was the director, as I said, of the fundraising arm of labor, Harold Nelson Holdings. Um, yeah, and then we got into that about the toxic review uh, or the, the review into the toxic workplace culture. Remember, we never got a, an answer about that. Like Michael Gunner, and this is what we get back to this. We get back to culture and labor and values and labor values. <laughs> we know that there were allegations for a long time. Cocaine sex scandal comes up, brings it all up to the fore. Uh, uh, the drug allegations that continued to happen and, and, the, and the toxic culture on the fifth floor. And we go back to 2019. Gunner brings one of his mates in to do this report. We found out about it. We FOI'd it. We couldn't get anything. We don't know what he found. We don't even think that that was about the drugs. But Gunner had said that he knew about allegations of cocaine use on the fifth floor, but didn't really take any action. Um, this is just like this, this whole culture these these people were allowed to behave in any way that they wanted there was like no structure here there was no leadership it was just a free-for-all for everybody and this guy getting caught up in this and and you know and we talked about that before that that this stuff wouldn't have happened i guess i, I think it would eventually and the, the victim to come forward was so brave to do that and I, I can't even imagine how difficult that would have been and we know that the judge said that it was when we reported that Roe was mixed up in the cocaine sex scandal that the victim said, I've got to come for it now. And, and I'm glad that she did. And she found the courage to tell her story and that he's now convicted. Um, but, but, you know, and it just all ties back in. Now you've got them protecting him for it, trying to get him less of a sentence here, a reduced sentence because why exactly? I mean, we, it's just that he was one of the tribesmen, right? He was part of the cult. He was a key member of this tribe and he's gone. Um, but how did it get to this point? How is this culture allowed to, to thrive like this and not been wielded in at any point? So, you know, thinking, then we get, I've been thinking about this while you're talking, yeah. Chris, uh, trying to give it some context. And I thought, okay, what's the equivalent of this? in my life, um, if someone in my firm, say, mm. was convicted as a pedophile, and then I was asked to, to write a character reference for that person, it, it, it would be hard to do that, wouldn't it? <laughs> because the character reference has got to be in relation to everything outside of that. But how does that help? In relation to, the, I don't know. I'd say, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Well, but, but and then, but then you're in politics, right? You, know, you look at it like that. You're in politics. What is the risk here of writing letters of support for a pedophile in politics? They're not good. And they, I don't know. I'm sure that they thought nobody would find out about this, right? Because yeah, the other yeah. media haven't. Now I had to file an application with the courts. That's how I got Rebecca's letter. I think mm -hmm. what do we say? Assorted other alcoholics, anonymous members. Um, a guy who runs a, an Iron Man thing or something like there are people who he had just recently met who wrote letters. Mm. Um, but these people from the party would just get back to that who knew that this, this had to be politically risky to do that in case this had come out, but they thought that they could do that. So now why do they do that? We don't know. I, we've asked questions. We said, look, was this to protect Kent in some way? Because we know he has knowledge of things. We know that the ICAC's investigating right now, travel work stuff. 
um, was there was this part of a trade-off? We we asked the question straight up. Neither one of them responded. We asked Sid Sterling. We asked Jamie Gallagher. Neither one of them responded to that. I think Leah Finacchiaro was asked that, and she said, "Well, I don't know, but I wouldn't put anything past this this party at this point and the secrecy that goes on with them." Mm. So you know, but getting back here just to that letter, yeah, about it, it just always seemed to me that it comes back to them saying that he's that you know this Jenny Jakura, uh, Sid Sterling's wife, says he always showed such commitment and drive to the party and its members, and has always wanted to make a difference in whatever he did. My husband and I have called Kent and Rebecca friends for a number of years now. We're fully aware of the struggles they had to face over the last couple of years. I believe uh, that he gives so much to the community and his family and deserves a second chance. Uh, again, none of them, they, they wouldn't respond to our questions. Uh, Nicole Madison didn't respond either. We asked her uh, if she was aware, if she endorsed uh, Jenny Jakara to send that letter. And if it was, you know, because... I guess she had just retired. She worked for Henderson and she worked for Nicole Madison and she just retired in July, a couple months before August, September. I think she wrote at the end of October. So three months before, but she was also back in a casual position with them in Nicole's office. So we said, you know, what's going on there? And did you guys discuss this? Did, and she wouldn't respond. Did you discuss? This? And we still don't know when I still go back to Nicole Madison and look, we're going to have more on this stuff. But when did Nicole Madison first know about it? We, we've, we've not gotten a proper answer from her. And we talked about it last week, but she said, oh, when the media first reported on Ken Rowe. Well, the media couldn't report on him for six months and everybody in political circles were talking about it. So you can't actually say that you learned it from the media. She learned it from somebody else. Um, and so she's just staying away from all of this thing, um, from this scandal that is Roe and, and this. And anyway, I just... I don't know where this goes, except that, as I said, it's a culture problem within labor and they've got to deal with it. And right now they're running from it publicly and politically, while in the background they were writing letters of support for this guy. So people can make their own judgment calls, I guess, about what that says about a party and its operators. Uh, I don't, I'm just... I'm just really blown away still that, that this has happened the way it's happened like that and that we've had to pull them and the COP did it in parliament, kicking and screaming to the point of condemning the man mm -hmm. in parliament where file said it briefly last week. Now her thing is just justice has been served. When I, whenever I asked about Roe, justice has been served. Well, but party figures got in the way. Well, you know, they contributed to the, to the sentence here, but by, by putting in their letters of support, so, uh, you know, and like I said, the lack of remorse and refusal to accept full responsibility. Uh, Roe got again. I don't, I don't know if we got into that five years suspended after two and a half. So he'll be out, uh, eligible for release in March 2025. Uh, it doesn't, yeah, I don't know what happens after that, but, uh, mm, it's not well, good. Let's look at the next story, Chris, which sort of dovetails into this and, and, Maybe you can just expand on that somewhat. I mean, obviously, we've talked about this quite in depth, but, you know, now Territory Labor has been shamed for supporting Kent Rowe um, with with a great headline, I thought, that you guys had of they have no moral currency anymore. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, look, let's thank Jacinta Price for that. That was her quote. So yep. I spoke to Jacinta yesterday about this, and uh, she was shocked 
by this and she's, she's saying she really has distilled it hasn't it hasn't she look at that yeah. sentence it's appalling that territory labor can defend or make justifications for a lighter sense sentence for a child rapist simply because he has worked to help them win elections i think that really captures it doesn't it it does yeah and she said look if they're prepared to stand up for child rapists it's no wonder the victimized territorians feel isolated unheard and feel like they're not being supported in any way they do not have any moral currency because they're clearly in support of perpetrators and child rapists and individuals that would seek to harm and she had said those those words after we were talking in the broader sense of her saying that this this party how do they bring about the much needed reforms to reduce sexual and family violence in the northern territory that we hear them talk about while they're supporting a perpetrator i think she's got a a, a serious point here i think yeah. this is something that needs to be explored further i wish the other media would get on on this and ask some questions that we can't get answers to but how do you do that politically how do you say we're here for victimized territories but we're going to support a, a perpetrator on this end it's the, the, you know what i mean leon like when you get in politics like that and you're the ones making the laws and stuff it becomes a lot different than it would be in a personal or private capacity this is it goes to the heart of their values and how do you explain that to territories that was the question that we went to boss with just how do you explain this to territories and of course we didn't get any answer um and then, and you know just into saying well what do they stand for what do they stand for they don't have the interests of everyday people or victims of abuse in their hearts so you know what do we do we went to carly dalton the, the current labor secretary we asked her uh, you know why the party would write letters of support uh, for convicted pedophile we know from just talking to some other people that once they found out about it that a lot of members are not happy about this and how this went down they didn't know nobody knew nobody would have known if we didn't we had to go through a process and get those yeah. forms but nobody else would have done that uh and i think this really goes to the core of labor and what they stand for uh so you know she's sidestepping questions still again uh we know about the issues that have come up before and like i said leah leah said look when it comes to secrecy the way in which they treat foi applications uh with the stain we see the way in which they shut down parliament every single day to avoid debate and avoid scrutiny i don't think the government would stop at anything it always puts itself before territorians again i'd love to have a line from them saying look these two parties stalwarts did not act on behalf of the party to do this they shouldn't have done this we take you know you got to come out and do something here but these guys they don't want to they don't they don't want to own up to this they think they can keep hiding from it and they've been able to so far they've been able to get away with this the other media is not calling them out on it so i don't know let's see where it goes but I, can i just say that there's always more to come on that stuff like <laughs> there will be more it's not going away it's such a big scandal for the party the questions still become who knew what and when every day we're kind of getting more information about that so there will be more coming mm. Stay tuned. All right. Uh, well, let's go to the next story then, Chris. Uh, the petrochemicals still part of Middle Arms Environment Impact State Assessment, despite files denial. And and the scrub that went happened, what what the environmental groups are calling greenwashing. 
So there was an excellent story. This is an excellent story by David Wood. There was an excellent story uh, by Jano Gibson on Saturday. I don't know if you guys saw that. This was about Jano's gone and found that, you know, when we talked about this, so Files comes up and says, there's no petrochemical plant here. What, what petrochemicals? What are you guys even talking about? And middle arm. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. I'm pretty sure. Is she gaslighting us all? I'm pretty sure it said that. So we went and found the website and it said petrochemicals. <laughs> They're going to be all over middle It arm. says middle arm petrochemicals playing out the front. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> sick, yeah. <laughs> so... It's like, well, and so we did a story at the time, and I think she had called the Environment Center a bunch of dirty liars and fear mongers and stuff. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure that they've got more credibility than you, <laughs> but okay. So, you know, we went to them, got comment from, from Kirstie O'Brien, not Kirstie O'Brien, Kirstie Howie, geez, um, at the Environment Center. And uh, we then started looking too, as we were waiting for comment from her, uh, about the uh, the websites, the government websites, and it's there. It is clear. It's on all these websites. It was in. She came back and said that it was in uh, presentations that she had even been to, where it's a petrochemical plant. So anyway, so what happens is they they scrub the internet of this, or they think they do. Anyway, most of their websites, and John Gibson had gone and had a look at it, and he had side by side. Here's what it said last week. Here's what it says today. Petrochemicals is gone. The word is gone. So, so Woody kind of takes this a step further then too. And he says, well, you know, you can kind of scrub it from the internet, I guess, in some ways, at least to the current websites. But he said, what about this environmental impact assessment that had been filed with the, with, with the EPA back in, I think it was with September. Um, well, sure enough, it's got petrochemicals all over it. And that's what it's going to be. So, so you they took it off. They took the word petrochemical off the website. Off most of the websites. I think you can still find it in the back of one other one. But Jono had like side-by-side images. They're not familiar with caching, are they, at the Labor Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so that, is, that is very... Uh, well, yeah, I know, Leah. <laughs> yeah, like we were, we, were, we were having lunch today, and, and Woody had said something like that. Like, And we got to the point, and it was like, okay, so what are you saying then? You're saying that... They're going to have petrochemicals there, but we're just not allowed to know about it. So they scrubbed any trail or trace of public information that's available that says petrochemicals. But then they've had this in a document that they've given to get approval for this thing to move ahead with it. But they've just, yeah, it, they've completely lied to the public. They have done what a government should not do and in the you worst possible way. You seem shocked this. by this, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, well, for, to go to this level and for it to be shown like this, like this is almost like a Simpsons episode or something like this. That's is what like, it felt like, didn't yeah. it? The, uh, the mayor out the front of the, nothing to see here. Yeah. <laughs> well, they like pull down the petrochemicals plant and precinct sign in the background. Yeah. Little Lisa Slurry <laughs> and, is going and in the, the middle arm the there. Three-eyed fish are swimming past. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Pete, like honestly, like this is, I've, yeah, this is just the whole new low where they, it's just so obvious. They've just deleted it so the public can't see it, but they've got the document. That, anyway, um, yeah, so look, that's that's what's happened. There's a lot more on this. Now, we could get into this about, well, why does she say this? Why does Files continue to say that there's no petrochemical? When we, we know that there is, why? So there was, so now we know it's just a lie. It's just she wants to deceive the public. but. 
she had said then that it was that this is all going to be about solar now she's on about. Oh. Uh, this is a new thing that it's going to be solar. And it's why would solar go in a middle arm? Like, really, we got solar yeah. everywhere in the north. Why would you do that in middle arm? And, Not a lot of space for it either. No, exactly. So <laughs> it's it's really strange and, and sustainable industry, she says. Uh, but then she's asked, though, on Saturday, what 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 industries are actually going there? And she says, so unfortunately, we saw some scaremongering. We so, had, you know, pictures of smokestacks and people being unable to breathe. And that's not what this <laughs> is about. So the definition of petrochemicals starts a whole new conversation. But this is about industries into the future. We're trying to provide an opportunity that the territory uniquely has because of solar. She doesn't know. She yeah, doesn't right? know. It's based on renewable energy. She says it's a transition to the future so that we can see investment in manufacturing. Well, how she's are you going to get manufacturing without gas? And she's government? just talking around it. And the fact that she started with the word so tells you <laughs> she's out of living. Yeah. And it's usually followed by Katie. So, Katie. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> that's right. Even if Katie's that's, not around, she just that's, so yeah. Katie, nah, 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 nah. Even at home in the kitchen. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 nah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, yeah, that's, that's what this is. This is a goddamn joke at this point. Uh, <laughs> and then she says, we're being open with people. No, no, no. Uh, I think the best part about this story is the shock that Chris is finding in it. <laughs> I, know, I know. No, not the, there's nothing about it particular. Well, there is still. I'm telling you, this is just so in your face about this that they've gone to the lengths of deleting websites, words on websites to pretend. I and then think, she uh, has no idea what she's talking I about. I think Natasha Falls is, is setting herself up to be uh, recruited into the Communist Party of China, the way she's doing. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Very true. yeah I, I'm, I'm worried about that. Or just working with Gunner at FFI. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is, anyway, there's going to be more coming out on this. It's just that, though. Like, why, why do that? It's so, it's so shady. There's got to be more. Yeah. So, you know, but she likes to always say we're providing certainty for industry, right? Well, but you're not when you're telling industry, <laughs> the gas industry, that there will yeah. not be any gas. They're not welcome. <laughs> Out there, right? Like, so why is she doing this? Unless she's just completely stupid. And <laughs> like, screw you at the Environment Center as well. For yeah, well, she's really mad at them. Just the facts. Yeah, <laughs> for their ad about it. But it was because she wasn't on the front foot enough, though. If she thought that the Environment Center's ad campaign was better than her own government's, well, then you guys lost that. You should have been upfront about this with Territorians first. Yeah. And the whole thing about it. And tell us what the benefits are of having petrochemicals manufacturing precinct you know remember kirby was right. telling people you can't take plastics down to mendel beach and now his government was spruiking this thing to make plastics putting a plant near bellamac <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's just it's just so stupid it's just another level we know that they lie i'm not surprised with that this is just like the way that they've gone about this is just so stupid and mind-numbing <laughs> Well, yeah. or either that or it's a Jedi mind trick. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next story, Chris, because I've got to tell you, this is the story of the week for me. Okay. Uh, because the man who is front and centre throughout the pandemic where Michael Gunner mm -hmm. saved the free world and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden mysteriously went missing and was replaced by others in a puppet regime. <laughs> was it Dr. Payne? <laughs> That's right. Dr. Payne. Much, no, there much, were, there were, 
Much better name for a doctor. (laughs) There were others in there as well, yeah. The best news of the week is that we've found and discovered Dr. Hugh Heggie, and he's been named as the next NT administrator, Chris. Yep. Yeah. And I I believe he's going to shut down the grow house as his first order of business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, why the electricity was costing that much. Yeah. and then I think it was like Scott McConnell at the time would come on. So this has got to be a part-time job, right? Like this is ridiculous <laughs> that we're paying this much. And yeah. this joker's going to have a private chef and a chauffeur. <laughs> hey, this is the Queen's representative in the Northern uh, Territory. Chris. Look, yeah. Um, I still don't think we know about everything that went on. And, and granted, you know, those were trying times uh during the pandemic but Mm. this guy was in over his head on that one i think we're all pretty clear about that um and there's more that's still to come out on all of that i just know for a fact um so anyway but look we decided that well somebody decided let's say christy mcbain decided whoever the hell she is i had to look that up minister for territories christine mcbain city will commence so federal government was appointed by the governor general on advice from the australian and nt governments she said it was based on heggie's deep experience in senior public service okay does he is he i don't i don't know that's the criteria for being an nt administrator anyway uh, I don't think I don't think John and Nick DeMatis had too much to do with the public service, do you, Leo? <laughs> no. No. no yeah. You don't have and several to. others before and since. No, or this or this nonsense that uh, he was the chief health officer and executive director of public health. Uh, Heggie has significant leadership experience, and I know he will bring those same capabilities to the role of administrator. Uh, anyway, yeah, so they're keeping Vicky on here. Uh, I think we all know Vicky. We just call her Vicky. <laughs> Vicky is on. She's been the administrator since 2017. She'll stay on for another three months so that they're to allow for what they're calling a smooth transition into. Oh, yeah. uh, so Heggie gets into the job. And I, I don't know. These How hard is it to hand over the keys and show him where the bedroom is? Yeah, and just shut up and get the hell out. And, and this and is the number. For, this, uh, this is the number for the chef if you get hungry. Yeah. <laughs> But no, Her Majesty's going to probably do a farewell tour around the territory. I wouldn't. I'm. 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 I'm I would not be surprised if she isn't already staging I'm sure that be right a magazine now. Magazine shoot as well. For that. <laughs> yeah, and how she was the greatest, most beloved administrator of all time. But her she... and Mister O'Halloran will do this and that. That's what she calls her own husband, Mister O'Halloran. Oh yes, Mister O'Halloran will be attending this. <laughs> there's, a, there's a tone of disdain in your voice. <laughs> Man, when it's, you see it's how much the money Canadian anti queenness about it, I think. <laughs> we we just got the same issues as well. My my like only that. issue my only issue with the current administrator is the uh, you know refusing to allow the anti independent to attend that uh, swearing in ceremony. Oh, yeah. And sparking a b- potential yeah. constitutional crisis. With that. We had to go to Buckingham <laughs> Palace for that one. We sent questions to Buckingham Palace, <laughs> and they didn't respond to us. You know why, that, Chris? Uh, they're in on the band, too. Yeah, they're in on it with Gunner. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the new king, he's cool, though. He'll be, he'll, he's on uh, yeah. our side. <laughs> he talks to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right. But, yeah, mm-hmm. look, guys, just to finish that, yeah, I guess that's all. Peggy's the new administrator. I don't know why we have an administrator anymore. It should be a part-time thing. Scotty McConnell was right. It's a waste of money for us all. But 
yes, by all means, let's just give Heggy this plush plum job that he does nothing. <laughs> that serves real no use except for signing documents. Mm. Okay, well, the uh, next story, uh, Files Government Raises Age of Criminal Responsibility Amid Crime Crisis. Yeah, so this is what you do, right? When you're facing a crime crisis, you that's being perpetrated. Let's not forget by children, eleven-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, let's, we know who are stealing. Let's just have cars. a look at the age it's been raised to. Yeah, we got eleven-year-olds stealing cars and ten-year-olds stealing cars, uh, holding up servos with knives and machetes. And so the government's response is, "Let's raise the age uh, of criminal responsibility." Therefore. The crimes will go down. That's what some people were saying. Was watch the numbers fall. Um, look, this this was part of a, uh, a, uh, a a national campaign. Now it was in the recommendations from the youth, the, the Royal Commission to Youth Detention. Here, for some reason, they've waited this long, and that's what the government's trying to say. Like, oh, it was part of the recommendations, and we promised we'd bring them in. That was like five years ago. It was more than five years ago, and they haven't done it until now. But there was push on the national. They also promised they'd fix the budget too, Chris. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But there's been this push, this push nationally that um, you know, uh, with the United Nations or Amnesty International, get kicked off uh, to raise it to 14. And so, once again, you know, last week we're on here talking about changes to the Anti Discrimination Act, which were not needed in any way. There were no issues with that. But labor wanted to show that it's being more labor than labor and <laughs> taking progressive, labor, labor. Yeah, progressive <laughs> steps and chance he pig pat himself on the back. Although we could raise the fact that he may have had a conflict of interest there. Um, and so labor decides to let's just out labor everybody else in the country and do this first and bring in this legislation to raise the age of criminal responsibility. But given the timing of this, that we're in the middle of this, like, look, I, I, I even don't think that this is the worst thing that a government has ever done. I think that if you read some of the literature on this stuff and some of the facts and studies that they say, OK, and, and this is all that files did, though. And, and she gets up in Parliament to defend it. She talks about studies and not once bringing in the unique challenges of the Northern Territory and what we're going through. But she says that, no, this can be done. And, you know, it, 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 it's not a harmful place that they go to then so they can be rehabilitated. But if we put them in prison, then they're going to continue. The recidivist stuff's going to continue. There is some merit to this stuff. We can see that in the studies. But we're not doing that here. And why aren't we doing it here? Because we don't have the facilities. And in more than six years of this government claiming that they were doing the generational change where they would have sentencing options, where we, we've always talked about that generational change. They've not been able to get this stuff in place. And now they've just, they're changing the laws and saying, well, there, we've done it. And don't worry, we'll wait until sometime mid next year and we'll wait for us to get all of this uh, uh, infrastructure, all this, um, the facilities that are needed, the people hired to run these programs that they, they can't even get employees for anything else. Uh, I'm really concerned about this. Like, this is just, it's bad policy once again. It's bad policy that they're not prepared for. It might be good policy overall. And I get where the, the proponents are coming from about this, but not in the NT. If you look at the NT I'm- and how bad things are here, 
this is not the time. Let them do it somewhere else. See what happens there. Apply it to what we can do here and what we're capable of doing here. But th- these guys have just rushed into this to show that they're the most labor of all labor people. Isn't that because well, Chancey's trying to get that award? <laughs> well, <laughs> it might be. It doesn't hurt, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, he's going to say like- he's had pretty big two weeks of sittings. Yeah. What I'd like to see is Amnesty International and the United Nations given free rent in the CBD of Alice Springs for six months. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's just like see it. how much they want to raise the uh, criminal responsibility at that point. It's all yeah. well and good to sit in your bloody high tower wherever they sit and say, oh, you should do that, Australia, because that's, that's the right thing to do. But as you said, the unique situation in the NT it's absolute madness that they've decided to be the first to do it. I mean, what are they thinking? They can't control the situation as it is. Yeah. So yeah, what now? No one's responsible, or the kids that don't, the parents that don't want these kids are now responsible, are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, no, it's that's it. Like they they've not thought this through at all. It's just like yes, this is our progressive agenda. Let's do it, but we can't actually explain why we're doing it. And one of the other things that they brought in that the CLP were upset about was this whole well. Yeah, you know, just this oh, the anti discrimination stuff. What? No, no, in this, in the yeah. raising the age of criminal responsibility. So, and the cliche about how this will help break the cycle of you three offending <laughs> in the NT, which is a lot laughable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, no, they said that they would also, um, uh, what is it, expunge the records? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was there. The, they said that uh, yeah, all convicted youth criminals, yeah, under 12, mm-hmm. having their records expunged. Yeah, and what were you reading, Liam? Was that the CLP's line there? Where? Uh, yeah, the CLP said it, it would instead greenlight all crim- crime, no matter how serious, for under 12s. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, well, and look, we've seen that. Look, and I talk to people, I talk to police, I talk to other people in law enforcement stuff and legal circles, and, and that's what they're saying is that there's just never any consequences. Like, they're told now, like, just respect yourself. It's lines like this that the judge says and lets them back out and then they go and commit another crime. Like they're not yeah. getting, they're not, there's yeah. no consequence for it. And that's the problem. Yeah. That's what's frustrating everybody. That's exactly right. In fact, I was talking to a high school teacher uh, uh, the other day, I won't say from which school. And I was, I was just talking to her about discipline in, in the classroom and the kids and everything. And she said, Leon, the problem is there are no consequences. Yeah. Mm. You know, and that's the thing. There are yep. no consequences. And kids have fi- she said kids want boundaries. Kids need boundaries. And if you take those boundaries away, then there's there's nothing and they're just like a car that careers off the, the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so if you have those programs and infrastructure processes in place then maybe this works maybe this is something because like i was trying to get out with leah at a press conference was like okay but you've got to admit that what's happened for a very long time here hasn't worked and we're at this point now and you know you put it however you want if that was a tough on crime approach although like you know saying that and then she has talking points all around that well labor's not tough on crime if we get in blah 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 and it's like, yeah, okay. But even when you get in, Leah, this is not going to fix itself. Like, this is, 
something needs to be done and we need to start looking at this differently. If it's something like this, then let's have that conversation. But that conversation has to be backed up with actions and those actions have to be funded and already in place before you start changing legislation. And then these people don't have any interest in doing that labor. They, they just want the headline. This will go well across the country. Maybe even internationally, if it gets there, that they're so progressive in the NT. But meanwhile, look, I've talked to other advocates for this who say this is just something they're putting up in the window anyway, so that it looks good for them. Where in the back room, the children are still being abused in the in the prison system here, um, and they're not doing anything to fix that. But it looks good to say, oh, we're raising the age here, and we're look at us, we're so progressive. But there's so many, so many issues and. Problems that start to become, that start to seem unsolvable because we've gotten to this point, we've let it get to this point, and now it's almost too big to start fixing. And so for these mm. silly little progressive things that they call it that, that don't really, won't change much here and doesn't a- address the root problems of any of this, it's uh, just politics and it's just ridiculous. We, we, we've talked about this on here before that we need everybody to come together to solve this issue. And yeah. They're still not doing that. They're still trying to win political points from like people who don't even live in the territory anymore. That's how stupid it is. Mm. Well, let's move on to our next story. And this is one that's made international headlines this week. Chris, uh, Matt Wright, the Outback Wrangler, <laughs> has turned himself into police and has now been formally charged with threatening witnesses and attempting to pervert justice. Yeah, look, what is an ongoing conversation piece? Yeah, well, that's right. I, I kind of was like, geez, you know, the, this is all that the, was most certainly the biggest kind of media story of the week, let's say. Uh, and then we saw the media uh, uh, go to town on this, so to speak, with the uh, the big circus that happened out at the airport when Wright yes. landed on the flight from Sydney. Now, again, I don't have the resources to get involved in that. And I'm not sure that I probably. It's pretty violent anyway, Chris. You best, best to stay away from those. Uh, yeah. Look, yeah. But this is, this is gonna, this is a circus already. And, uh, what's at stake here is pretty serious when you're looking at what, um, has, uh, is alleged to have gone on. Um, and I think we were just talking last week, weren't we, the week before about some of this stuff too, with the other guys who were charged, but yeah, it was, it was a surprise Monday morning, police, uh, putting up the statement saying that, um, that, that that an arrest warrant had been issued for Matt Wright and that he was had until 9am Wednesday morning to turn himself in. And that at that point he'd be facing serious charges. Uh, in connection to the helicopter crash in West Arnhem Land in February that killed his mate and co-star, Chris Willow Wilson. And those charges were very serious and included things like fabricating evidence, destroying evidence, uh, attempting to pervert the course of justice, um, uh, making false declarations, making threats, reprisals to interfere with witnesses. Uh, yeah, this is all pretty serious stuff, all connected, the police say, to what happened involving this crash. Uh, so he did show up, he turned himself in, he got those charges. Uh, I think he did on the Tuesday afternoon, he had till 9 a.m. the next day. There were some photos, I think, that today shows hopped on board, and then you know, oh god. 
This yeah. is gonna get this is gonna get messy because I noticed he was sitting in the pointy end of the plane too. <laughs> yeah, and then he was flying <laughs> to Darwin, and then the yeah the media was was waiting for him, and the media is just doing its job. But yeah, it just gets to be when there's that many because then you see the photos, some of the photos of what's going on there, and there's like a bunch of other journalists. And wait a second, I've yeah, never yeah. seen you in this town That's before. Right. This is they our all town, just man. Show up, and I see the Today Show mics are being held now, and the, yeah, and the yeah. press conference like. They're getting comments from yeah. anyway. And, and yeah, some other news organizations. Anyway, we'll see. This is starting to be, this is what the mainstream media love this kind of stuff. So we'll see yeah. where, where this progresses. But as much as everything that, that went on and they want to make a big show, but it really wasn't in the end. Right. So he flies here, the arrest warrants issued. He flies here. He obeys by it. He gets in there. He's charged. He appears in court the next morning. Uh, it gets held over until January 25th uh, yeah. for the preliminary examination mentioned. Uh, and that's it. Now there are some conditions of bail. He's, he's given bail and he's told not to communicate to the people that we've already talked about. Just just about everybody else who was involved or somehow had some even loose connection to the companies. Yeah. And, and 50 what's people. It's pretty extensive. list. <laughs> yeah. And uh and uh yeah and so then that was it and then he flies back to queensland or wherever he lives now uh no what's queensland that, i don't I thought that was there. interesting that they said he has to live at one place in queensland for a certain amount of time and yeah. he has to move to another one so i presume he was already moving and yeah said, you know, yeah i think that's it yeah yeah. yeah so um yeah, so look, that's it. I mean, we still we know a little bit more actually about uh, the photos. That was probably about the only thing that came out this week, which yeah. we, we went further than what we knew, and that was that uh, the police were calling for those images of that particular helicopter that had crashed that day because it had been used to transport people around um, through tourism stuff from Matt Wright's yeah. company. Uh, and so they did get a bunch of the photos. Now we understand. And it showed that it was flying on days when the record showed that it wasn't flying right. to federal agencies. So that's the little bit, the tidbit there that the NT police gave out, um, and why they would do that. I'm not really sure, but anyway, we're, I guess to tease this thing along, you need to feed the machine somehow here and uh now we want we want more of this reality show that's going to be the uh yeah. charges against um right and the other guys i mean still no further on any on anything else and we don't know when this is all coming together are they all going to be put on trial at the same time i mean how's yeah. this um how's this actually it's interesting work? isn't it yeah and we don't know yet and are there more there were other people involved we don't know at this point and they're moving slow remember like the the atsb we're supposed to have a report into that helicopter crash done by now yeah like by the last month of the year and then that's been pushed out to sometime in the mm. first quarter of next month or the end of the first quarter of next month of next year sorry so um yeah so that's kind of slowed down and uh, we're all just hanging on here now and until January 25th. I don't know what all these interstate media people are going to do here. Yeah, I yeah. Yes, it's back down. So it's holiday the next day too, so, you know. Yeah, on the 25th. I'm struggling to get accommodation. Hey, um, yeah. what's interesting is uh, I read through the list of 50 names mm -hmm. that, uh, that are on the don't call list, and uh, I recognize one of those names. Mm -hmm. Actually the wife of a very good friend of mine. 
Mm. So I rang him up today to say, listen, I've got a I've got a tough question to ask you. I've got a podcast I'm recording tonight. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. And he said, What's that? I said, Look, it's a weird question, but I've just got to ask. And I asked him, I said, uh, I believe your wife is banned from speaking <laughs> to the Outback Wrangler. What's going on? He goes, no, wrong person. Same name, different person. Uh, I was disappointed. I was looking for some goss. <laughs> you accused his wife of having an affair with Matt Wright. I, I, I didn't know what I was accusing her of. I just knew we were to talk. I, I hoped I wasn't telling him for the first time as well. <laughs> Did he have to go and ask, though? Did he say, like, I'll get back to you? Hang on a second. He was pretty sure it was a different person. <laughs> his, Let me just check. Actual, I don't know. His actual comments me. to me were, I don't know where she'd find the time. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, yeah. So, look, that's about it on that for now. And, and hopefully we get a little bit more probably before January 25th. But uh, at the very latest, well, I'll be back then and we'll see what happens. Yep. Stay tuned. All right. Well, uh, let's finish it off with... <laughs> It's a, a, a very sad story. Uh, the Territory Investment Commissioner, Andy Cowan, is out in a shock registra- uh, regis- resignation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't see this coming. Did you, Leon? It could have been an interesting five hour there, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see it coming. And well, why would you? You get well, paid all that dosh to not do much. I would stay there like, too forever. Like, like something like... 350,000 probably or more and plus, plus, plus. Uh, and also this guy, you know, he's been named as like the guy doing the heavy lift into the $40 billion economy by 2030. Yeah. It's on his this back. goal. It's all on him. Maybe that's he's why he resigned. Maybe he goes, it says, this is impossible. Yeah. This is, <laughs> it hasn't stopped them from <laughs> spruiking it around. And, you know, they have, they're in that partnership with the NT news. And I think they were more hurt. I read their story after we, we broke the story. And uh, and they were more hurt that Andy had abandoned them. It was like you know he, oh, but really? he had just talked at our forum. And why, uh, why, Andy? Why? But they don't bother asking <laughs> him like why, like really, why did you resign? Because he doesn't say. He doesn't. He, there's no explanation for why. So how we find out about it is we get we get sent uh, uh, an internal email that went around the staff and department of chief minister and cabinet and. Yeah, we could see in that. And then that email was, of course, from the new chief executive, the head public servant, Frank Daly. You remember Frank Daly, Pete? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm health. just picturing how the NT Independent got their hands on this. I was thinking, oh, don't tell me someone hit reply all from that email <laughs> that went into spam all those months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, we got we got sources. Um, so, but yeah, Frank Daly now, uh, it was like a year ago, he was in health and remember he threatened to sack everybody on Christmas Eve. I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so he, he comes I always over. Think of, I always think of Arthur Daly when I think of Frank Daly. <laughs> Arthur Daly from Manda. <laughs> oh, no, that's probably, that's probably going back to Cliff Richard days, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so look, so Frank Daly sends this email around, but he doesn't explain exactly why he's going, but he says something that the position will remain vacant. <laughs> so, you know, we're told that this, well, this it's is been so back important. until now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was his wording. Uh, I'm writing to let you know that Andy Cowan has made the difficult decision to leave the NT public sector, Daly wrote to Seth. 
and he has made an enormous contribution to public service over the past 12 years. Andy's last day with the department will be 7th of December. Those of you attending the end of the year party this Friday will have an opportunity to wish Andy well for his next challenge. Please Something tell about me that, where that address is, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just, I was like, oh, I bet you that's going to be a good time. Yeah. The end there'll of the year be, party. There'll be no formal Easy. celebration, but if you go into the end of year party, <laughs> you can say goodbye then. <laughs> And then just, you know, and then we get into a little bit of his background. And this is where I guess it gets all the more perplexing as to why he's leaving. Because the man is not going to get a job where he's making that much money and, and doing next to nothing anywhere else. Like in the private sector, he's doomed. Unless he's got something lined up interstate, but they would say that. And in fact, Daly says something about how he's sticking around the territory because we got a lot of amazing opportunities and it's boundless possible. Something, uh, you got to put it all together. Anyway, Cowan's a former school teacher, like I said, right? So this guy's not from Wall Street, he's not from Goldman Sachs or anything. This guy's a teacher. He shows up in town, gets a job with the Department of Education in 2010. He works his way through that. He gets into DCM. He somehow becomes the deputy chief executive of DCM. This is under former head public servant Jody Ryan. I mean, this guy's a Northern Territory success story, really. He come up here. So, so then he's deputy executive, deputy chief executive, and, and Gunner takes a real shine to him. And Gunner thinks, hey, this kid's going places. And he was. He was going to Disney World, a taxpayer expense. But in April 2021, in April of last year, Gunnar says, we got to rebuild the economy. After COVID, I got to put together the A-team. We're going to rebuild the economy we destroyed. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to 40 billion. What the hell? Um, so he says, we, we're going to put the A-team together. I need a territory investment commissioner. Who could it be? I know, Andy Cowan. And uh, and so Cowan becomes the investment commissioner. This man is a teacher who <laughs> got a job in the department. It's unbelievable. What it is, it's a territory success story, and we should all celebrate it uh, because it truly is boundless possible here where <laughs> you can come and be put in like one of the highest positions and, <laughs> and nobody will question if you have the, the credentials for it. So... Uh, Anyway, I do want to get into a bit more with this. So th there was speculation, of course. I think he had told the NT News, now it's not true. But of course, everybody in the department, that's all we said. We can't confirm this, but we know that people in the department are saying that they thought that he would go work for Twiggy Forest for Tescue Future Industries with Gunner because Gunner was such a big fan. Um, but of course, that doesn't make sense that he goes there because he wouldn't make as much money there and he wouldn't. You know, in private thing, uh, they still want some results, though. I know FFI isn't really run like a money-making company, let's say, from the people I've spoken to. But anyway, and we know that, that Gunnar had also taken Chris Langworthy, who was a, a former business advisor to him, which is funny, uh, and Cameron Angus. Uh, Gunnar's best mate, Cameron Angus, was also poached from wherever he was. He went to work with one of the big... Uh, uh firms um kpmg was or deloitte one of those anyway so they're all he's getting his his good people together for ffi gunner is and so we thought well and people are saying i was counting to do it now apparently he says no we can't confirm that but uh they went through all of his achievements here 
Um, and there's so many that I, we don't have time to get through them all. No, we, we actually do. There's not much at all. Significant work in digital infrastructure. Well, we just ran a story today that found that the NT is the worst place in the country. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's gone now. Uh, securing funding for rocket launches with Equatorial Launch Australia. All right. Uh, still no long-term jobs on that one. They opened their shop in Adelaide, not here. We lost out on 20 jobs or so on that one. Uh, securing, no, sorry, leadership of Aboriginal affairs. They said to me, Frank Daly said, and also he showed leadership of Aboriginal affairs. No, he didn't. <laughs> what the hell did he do in Aboriginal affairs? Uh, managing regional and remote, <laughs> managing regional and remote COVID-19 restrictions. Okay. And engaging with defense. Stuck now, the borders up. Yeah. Uh, now Cowan's also played a, a role in securing federal support for the Kakadu funding deal. But of course, it was through that that he attracted controversy when it was revealed he had charged taxpayers for a trip to Disney World in late 2019. That he then claimed, and the other private companies said, "Yeah, we 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 paid him back for that. We paid taxpayers back for that." But that private company was lobbying him for taxpayer money for the Kakadu project, and that was cool, man. That a company that that the the lobbies a, a, a public servant would pay for him to go on a trip anyway. That one's crazy. That one still has never made any sense to me that he didn't get disciplined. And somehow he got promoted to investment commissioner when this clearly a gift to a man who makes decisions about where public money goes. Anyway, Jesus Christ, only on the NT. So he did that. He did great. Now Cowan's also involved in, quote, securing the manufacturing of aircraft in the territory, referencing the $10 million in public funds given to amphibian aerospace industries to manufacture the amphibious aircraft that was last made in 1961. Um, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, now, Cowan's resignation, and, and this is what I want to get into with you guys. I'm going to, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more information than what I have in the story here. And I think we're going to do some more by the weekend and it should be on the site. But anyway, Cowan's resignation comes shortly after the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet blocked the Freedom of Information application seeking all travel costs and itineraries for 10 months worth of travel that to August of this year that Cowan had done and Brent Potter had done. Now, what what I can tell you about this is that first off, they blocked that, right? So they said you can't have the travel because this is it's just too much of a burden on the day-to-day -day operations of this department if we give you a few trips in the itineraries. Which is crazy. It's absolutely crazy because I know it's all in a program. It can be done in an afternoon. It's easy. It's all done unless it's not done. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's worse. yeah, and that might be anyway. So they had said and they blocked that, right? And I did a story and we talked about that. So then I I went back and I said, okay, let's just put that to the side because you haven't done the other half of this FOI. So I said, put that aside for now, and we'll come back to it. But do the other things. And now, what was in there were requests for emails with certain subjects. And uh, 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 what else? Um, it was emails. Oh, and then documents, memos, anything like that. Um, ministerial briefings on travel and things like that. So what I can tell you is that they basically blocked that and they've given me a few pages of but what they have given me, which was irrelevant to really anything. Uh, but they gave it to me and it's really weird. And it's like, why do I have like maybe four screenshots of text messages between Brent Potter and, and Andy Cowan. Like this doesn't show anything that I was looking for. 
But then I'm thinking now we see that this guy resigns all of a sudden. And you're thinking, well, wait a second, man. Okay. But they've got, they went into his phone to fulfill the requirements of the FOI application that I put in. Is it possible that something else, you know, that they may have stumbled across something else in there? I don't know. Did, 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 did something happen? I, I still, I don't get why we're putting questions to them about that. Um, and just, how is it that, like, you know, like, like Robin Lamley says, there's no coincidences in politics. And I just find that really weird that I do this kind of uh, FOI application that I didn't even realize that they were going to go in and do and take like from his phone screenshots from his phone. I don't know. Was there something? I'm not implying that, that Andy Cowan had done anything particularly wrong, but you got to start asking these questions at this point. Why somebody does this shock resignation, a guy who's on board to grow the economy until 2030 here, all of a sudden disappears and shortly after this FOI application, which they've still like rejected. We still haven't got all of the travel of where they've gone. We still haven't gotten these emails that I know exist. So, um, you know, we're still fighting that. That'll go through a process and we'll get that at some point. Anyway, at this point, we don't know. Uh, now, Daly had said that the investment commissioner position, which is interesting because it reports to him. And I think he said that, which reports to me. Um, we weren't sure about that before. It was a statutory role or if it was under DCM. So that's kind of interesting. Anyway, he says it will remain vacant. Well, Andrew Jones, Bridget Bellinger, and Tim McManus will deputize for me as required. Major projects commissioner Jason Schoolmeister will provide leadership for investment territory and defense NT. So, um, mm. yeah, he's out. Looks like they're just uh, run some. It's deputies. a part time role now that three people are going <laughs> to deputize as required. Yeah. And, yeah. And it'll save us a lot of to, money. Need to line up some um, new supplier deals. Then, uh, yeah. They can go and head off and you know get some nuts and bolts and all sorts of stuff as well, required. Yeah, exactly. And and <laughs> and what what happens now? Anyway, so I'm going to um, we're going to put in another FOI. We've we've got some things that hopefully they might be a little more forthcoming with now that he's gone. Um, well, yeah, a few FOIs of my own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just an empty threat. I might <laughs> ask you. <laughs> I might ask a few questions myself. <laughs> yeah. So, um, look, today, Files was asked about it in Parliament. She said that they would recruit. She was offended and <laughs> yeah, And that was the end of it. No, she said that they that they will recruit uh, for the position and they will have it in the meantime. These deputies will run it. Um, yeah, I don't know how they organize all this stuff. Like, So it sounds uh, like there's a fight between Natasha Files and Frank Daly. You need to be zeroing in on Chris. Well, you just got to remember, too, that the Cowan was brought in by Jody Ryan and Gunner. And so he doesn't really care. Daly doesn't really care about Cowan. Um, his loyalty was with the old boss. I, so, I, know he doesn't uh, like, I know he doesn't like him wearing those Mickey Mouse ears to work every day. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he keep doing it too? That's what I want to know. Um, it him a lot. Yeah. It was the thing that, that uh, I'm trying to find this line in here though. Like, you know, just come out and say what you're gonna do and why the resignation so you don't have people. So here's what he said, uh, Cowan's future plans, I guess we said that cannot be confirmed Monday. But Daly said in the email to staff that, quote, Andy will be staying in the territory because we all know there are too many exciting opportunities on the horizon. That sounded quite pointed, didn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, and and unnecessary, <laughs> untrue, <laughs> even. But uh, why, why, why is he saying? Look, why not just say, okay, he's resigned. It's a pretty high-profile job here. He's resigned. This is where he's going, and this is why he's resigned. But they can't do that. And the NT News gets to talk to Callum, but they don't even ask him. He just says, no, I'm not going to FFI. Um, so you're saying that he's definitely got something to go to? No, no. Okay. We don't know that at all. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. And they haven't been clear about that. Uh, I think he said something in the next year and a half. Uh, I think he told the NT News, I can't remember, something like that, that you'll all be very interested. I'll have something to tell you within the next 18 months. Like, dude, no one cares. If you're going to a private months. sector, I don't know what the time period was, but it's like nobody cares. If you're going to a private sector, tell us now while you're in this public role and leaving so that people don't get suspicious that something happened. Just say what you're going to do. Because if you're going to a private sector thing, guess what, Andy? Nobody's writing a story about you next year, six months from now, getting a job with a private company. It's like, who cares at that point? We want to know now when you're leaving this high profile uh, public position where taxpayers have been paying him obscene amounts of money to not do maybe everything that he should have been doing. Um, that's what we care about now, not not when it's convenient for you and your next endeavor. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with well, I've heard but, that uh, he's bringing uh, Disney World down under to the territory. <laughs> Well, at one yeah, point, they, the they were going to, they, they were looking at doing something down at the waterfront, weren't they? So some sort of Bali, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. No hats allowed, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, uh, Chris, uh, I thought we might end uh, on a positive note uh, and that. Yeah, sure. That, uh, try something different. Try, try and find one, Leon. Yeah, well, there is. And Pete, you will be jumping off the screen, you know, for afters about this one, I'm sure. I love it. Uh, Australia downing Denmark 1 0 to advance oh. into the next round. Mate, nobody was happier than me this morning, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I never. You, you blokes that. playing, Chris? Yeah, they were. They got knocked out. You know, I was, I was, yeah, well, I was talking to, I got to tell you a story though. First, I, I was talking and I don't like soccer um, and I don't watch soccer and I don't care about soccer anyway. Not, um, not enough violence for this ice hockey watching friend of ours. Yeah, well, that's probably, that's probably it. Like if you're not kind of raised with it, I think. But um, so I was talking to my friend, my very good friend, Clark in Canada uh, last weekend to say, yeah, you know, we'll come and we'll see you. And, and here's when we'll be there in Halifax. He's halfway around the world in Halifax. Anyway, he says this to me as if he's confessing like something bad that he's done. And he said, man, like, I'm not like, I got to tell you something. And I don't know how to tell you or how you're going to react. And I said, what? And he said, well, I've, I've been watching the World Cup. And I was like, why? Why? Like, you said rugby league? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, like, Clark and I grew up together and uh, we've known each other since we were two. He's like another brother. And uh, and we just never watched that. But he said, you know, I've been watching it. He's like, I don't, I don't really like it. It's kind of on <laughs> at different times, but I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it. And he said, I think Australia is going to win it all. And oh, I was no. like, why? And he's like, yeah, I think you guys are going to win it all. No. And I was like, well, this just tells Clark's me you're an idiot. Again, Chris. <laughs> yeah, this just tells me it shows why you don't know anything about exactly. soccer. Because <laughs> exactly. I know at least that much. But now here <laughs> we are. Now here they are. It reminds me of that ad one. with the, those blokes are sitting around the table and the whole bar is going crazy. And the guy says, I've got a confession to make. 
I don't like drinking beer anymore. <laughs> the whole bar stops, becomes silent. <laughs> it's Clark's mm. moment of I like soccer. Yeah, yeah. But then he said it and he picked Australia. And now, what was it, like six days later, and then they, they win this big game. Look, and, yeah. the thing about it is that we got absolutely blitzed by France 4-1. So in order to make the next round, we had to beat Denmark. And regardless of how good Australia might be at times, we are not in the top 20 nations probably ever, and Denmark is a European country, so they should be much better than us at any time. <laughs> so really it was a game that we shouldn't have won, but no, yeah. in World Cups things can happen. So I was happy, Leon. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, yes. that was good news, definitely. Uh, yeah, but uh, Australia and Canada shared uh, a very similar moment. Um, Canada went down... 4-1 in their last game, and I'm trying to think of who it was against. I can't remember. <laughs> and Australia went down 4-1 against France. Yeah. And in both games, uh, Canada and Australia scored the first goal. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, that <laughs> was false hope for about eight seconds of thinking, oh, we might beat them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. Like Canada, yeah, has had about as much success, I think, as Australia. You no, know, you guys probably have more than us. It. I think you're right, Pete, either European or um, what, South American or something. Yeah. So, so it, I'm gonna, can I just level. just be can I just be a little uh, controversial here now because uh, mm. I can't help it uh, because this Dude. stuff fascinates me, right? So a friend of mine posted in a chat group a picture of uh, I think it was France, but uh, possibly I can't remember. It was what it was a European team anyway, right? And then a picture of a North African team. Uh, both were playing against each other, or possibly yeah, anyway. And like Tunisia or one of those? Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. Tunisia or Morocco or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes. This is the only um, game at the World Cup where the African team is white and the European team is black. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And I Those, thought it was funny, but yeah. he got reprimanded for it, you know? By who? Somebody else in the chat group, I presume. Or someone oh, my God. And well, he, delete, and he deleted just, the post. Oh, yeah. God. It's just observational stuff. Like, uh, it's just fact, and they right? call us white, Chris. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's, that's funny. funny. Yeah, I thought it was funny. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Chris, for uh, coming on and uh, giving us a great time. I'll now hand it over to my co-host who actually does know how to sign you off. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Chris. Catch you next week. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. See you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.